Hey, it's Sarah. And I'm Aaron. And this is 31 Nights of Scary Shit. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. And this precious cat is going to be get co-starring today on the podcast. His name is Gus, and he's a dick. He's one of the podcasts. Anyway, he's going to be guest starring. He might meow a few times. Anyway, so Aaron, I have some exciting news. Well, please do tell. So one of our OG shitheads, Jamie, sent me a Facebook message or sent us the Facebook uh-huh. message. And it's about this really cool story that I'm going to do an episode on soon. Oh, and I'm nice. really pumped, but I really want to like read it and get really like researchy about it and get into it a little bit before I actually do it, but it's going to come and I'm so excited and I'm so pumped because we're going to have another shithead stories episode. I'm excited about that. And I'm excited that we're getting ideas from our listeners. I love it. And I do have to say that the one that we are doing today was requested by two people. Was it? Yes. In a list of like in a list that was sent, but like still a request, not like specifically this one. Like it was like in a list, but wasn't this one you had like kind of tabled, you had started. I had started it and then I was like, I hate him so much. Yeah, there's nothing likable. I hate. No, well, there's well, okay. nothing likable about well, any of well, them. Okay, let me but rephrase. Like, I hate him because, <clears throat> and I talk about this later. The only way we know about most of what happened is because he fucking freely talks about it like and then tried to like it. pitch his own autobiography yeah like he's just like an, here write my biography you yeah, loser he, he's like a really big loser and i hate him a lot so that's why i particularly don't like that i have to do this episode but i have to do this episode you know what i mean I do. it's like one of those situations so we're just gonna get into it. The person it, we're talking about here, friends, he's not is, gonna mess this up, is he? I don't think so. I don't think he's he's okay. Um, okay. the person we're gonna cover today is Dennis Lynn Raider. Yes, his middle name is Lynn, which also bothers me. <laughs> and I call him Lynn in here uh, a lot, and I hate him a lot. Like I said before, but. Um, in preparation for this, I actually read an enormous amount of court documents. Did you? Because they are readily available on the internet. Because he has made them readily available on the internet as well. (laughs) Cool. Um, yeah, because he's a he's a dick. Um, and he specifically confesses to every single thing he did. Now, whether or not you can take his word as like gospel i'm not really sure because he is a murderer so like there are parts of it that i will mention and i go i don't know if i really believe this happened but didn't he also try to take credit for some that that he didn't do also yeah what like that were physically impossible for him to do yes Just what why so like i i want to circle back to the very end and talk about his family a little bit but for the most part i don't really talk about his family a lot or his personal life i'll talk about his his like upbringing for the most part mm-hmm. but i don't get into the specifics of like everything that goes on and i'll talk about that later but we're going to just jump into this right now so i'm assuming most people have heard of btk don't know that was a pause for people to respond to me so this is an interactive podcast right now (laughs) a choose your own adventure if you will it's not a choose your own adventure because we're doing this so if you don't like it i mean i guess you could turn it off um but for anyone that hasn't heard of btk it's the pseudonym for raider and it stood for bind torture kill which describes how he committed his murders for anyone that is completely unaware of who this douchebag is um 
he was a sexual sadist and obviously sexually driven. And I'm failing to mention his fetishes because I don't want people to confuse it as a motivation for his crime because that happens a lot in the retelling of his story. They like blame that. Mm -hmm. And it's like not really the only thing that he did that was horrendous. Um, So I don't really go into that, but like he had a lot of them. Um, He was just a very like, I feel like in a different world, maybe he wouldn't have been uh, a murderer, maybe in a more, a less super Christian world, maybe. Um, Because I feel like that doesn't help with somebody Mm -hmm. who's a little unstable. Um, Raider murdered 10 people in total. I'm just going to give you a synopsis and then Mm -hmm. dive into it. Um, uh, He murdered 10 people in total. And I'm going to start with the victim names. And then we can talk about him as a human being a little bit. And because you can't like blame the child version of him, I guess. Um, But you can blame the adult version of him. Mm -hmm. Um, So he murdered four members of the Otero family. Joseph, 38. Julie, 34. That's the husband and wife. Joseph II, who was nine, and Josephine, who was 11. He killed Catherine Bright, who was 21. Shirley Van, who was 24. Nancy Fox, 25. Maureen Hedge, who was 53. Vicky, which I did not know that. Vicky Wurgle, who was 28. And then Dolores Davis, who was 62. He actually had two or three other ones planned, but he was caught before that happened. Can you imagine being them? And being and told, they know who they are. Yeah, and being and told, they like, went to them like, and asked if they knew that knew who he was. I cannot imagine that. Right. Yeah. So who was the asshole that took these people's lives? Who murdered these children? And why would he murder them? What motivated the crimes? So these are things that I had questions about in relation to BTK. A lot of people are more fascinated by the shit that happened after the murders um, because it's pretty like it's it's a good story. You know right. what I mean? It it yeah. sells newspapers, if you will. Yes. Um, so we're just going to start with the beginning of this dumpster fire's life. And yes, I do refer to him by many names. Lynn, which was his middle name, <laughs> twat, dumpster fire, <laughs> garbage heap, um, all of which are appropriate because he actually brags about most of these crimes. Like yeah. he's proud of himself. Like he's figured it out. Like he's yes. the smartest guy in the world. And I don't feel bad about calling him any kind of name because he's a douchebag and I hate him. Um, so Dennis Lynn Raider was born on March 9th, 1945. He was the eldest of four sons to William Elvin Raider and Dorothea May Cook, which I want to note May was spelled the correct way, which is the way that my middle name is spelled. So there, (laughs) um, Raider grew up in Wichita, Kansas. So it was like typical middle America kind of, you know, no crime situation. He attended Riverview school in Ungraduated from Wichita Heights High School. His family was involved in the local Lutheran church. And when he was 12, he completed his confirmation in the Zion Lutheran Church. Okay. So in his confessions and from journals, uh, Trashlin, which is my new favorite name for him, <laughs> tortured animals as a child and had a sexual fetish for women's underwear. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. paused because I wasn't, I, yeah. yeah we're just going to sit with that for a second, those two things, as a child. Yeah. Mm. Young child. Yeah. So the, so the torturing animals part is um, one of the three mm-hmm. um, behaviors of the McDonald triad, which we've spoken about a mm-hmm. bunch of times. And as I mentioned, Raider did have fetishes. So in and of themselves, not a problem. But in combination with other issues yeah. like torturing small animals and enjoying to... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
light fires in places that you shouldn't light fires, that's where you get problems. Yeah, not all fetishists are serial killers and arsonists and shit. So at this point in most narratives, people focus on what he achieved, like the degrees he got, the jobs he held, the family he was having during this period of time. I'm not going to focus on that at all because it's A, um, it feels terrible to do it to his family because they didn't have any involvement in the crime. So like they shouldn't be punished no. by their story being put out there about their private lives and B he's an asshole who deserves absolutely no glory for anything he may have accomplished. So I don't ever focus on any part of the remainder of his life, just the horrible things that he did because people need to know that these kind of people exist. And I'm not going to talk about what happened afterwards because it's a goddamn news circus, but I do wrap it up pretty tightly at the end of what happened. So most of these accomplishments were to the point of trying to hone his craft as he called it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we're going to start getting into this where he's telling the story now, because that's really the only perspective we have, unfortunately. Um, And so he was an obsessive sadist who would stalk victims, learn their moves and then break into their homes and or Mm. their security systems. Mm-mm-mm. very terrifying to me personally, because I'm like, people are watching me at all times. Um, and at one point he did work for ADT and yeah. that's where he, it's believed he learned how to crack systems yeah. and was able to easily access um, pretty much any place and usually restricted access areas because, you know, he looked like the telephone guy. I'm surprised that that doesn't hurt their business or reputation. I'm telling you, that's all I can think about I when I see those little I think signs. It, I think it probably did for a while. Like, I, I remember, like, people not wanting to have it when I was a kid. Yeah. But anyway, on January 15th, 1974, after he'd gotten married, had a kid. I think he had one of his kids at that point. I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, 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 probably. He killed four members of the Otero family. Yeah, he had at least one kid at that point. Yep. Uh, this is brutal, so just, like, buckle in, friends. Not, not one part of this, if you can tell from the title, Bind, Torture, Kill, is going to be uh, copacetics. <laughs> just yeah. get a leg buckle in. In his confessions, because, of course, this egomaniac confessed to everything, um, which kind of makes sense later, um, he said he cut the phone lines and broke into the house. He then tied up the family in the bedroom and he tells this disgusting story about trying to make the dad feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. because he had a broken rib um, from like a car accident. And it's like the way he talks about it is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. There's no affect when he tells it. He's like, oh yeah, so I felt bad for the guy because, you know, he must have been uncomfortable. He had broken his rib. And so he's like talking about it and it's like very disconnected. Yeah. Um, And so anyway, Dennis the motherfucking menace said he realized that they had seen (laughs) his face and that he was going to have to put them down. That's a direct quote. Put them down. Put them down. Put them down unfeeling he said it just like i so but, i i at, re- at that point realized i had to put them down that like ma- what that makes it sound like he wasn't going to though in the first place so what did he intend to do so it was his first murder so he wasn't sure what was going to happen oh. all he knew is that he wanted to tie somebody up like this is before oh he had God. figured his shit out okay uh raider put a plastic bag over mr otero's head and a cord around his neck and tried to strangle him He describes this horrifying scene of going around the room to Mr. and Mrs. Otero and then Joseph Jr., the son, while he's strangling them and suffocating them with plastic bags. Now, listen, Mm -hmm. 
It's his first kill. And so he says he's quote, learning how to do this. So he kept strangling them until they passed out thinking that they were dead, Mm -hmm. but they weren't. And so they kept coming to, and he would have to go back to them and strangle them. So like what a fucking living nightmare, living nightmare Mm -hmm. for those people. Raider took Joseph Jr. into the other bedroom and put another bag over his head and strangled him to death completely. He went and ensured that both parents were dead. They were at that point, and Joseph, but, but Josephine was still alive. Now, Josephine is nine years, uh, 11 years old. <clears throat> he took her to the basement and hung her from a pipe um, that was uh, relatively low hanging in the basement. Um, and what he did was he drew this in later images. And what you realize is that is actually what is, I believe, one of the images on the floppy disk that got him caught. Oh. Um, and this douche nozzle goes around the house afterwards and he took their car, dropped it at a local mall. And it's just absolutely terrifying to me because he also took stuff from the house as like trophies, as he calls them. And he had them in there in his stash. So around this time in the seventies, Raider got a job working for ADT, like I said before, in the hopes of um, getting around these security systems that he kept finding at these houses as he was stalking. Because, you know, they escalate. So he was stalking people at first. Mm-hmm. And he would start these, quote, projects, which were <laughs> essentially stalking and what he called trolling, which is just disgusting to me. Like, he's just, like, he's talking about it like it's a job. Yeah. And I hate it. It's A hobby, if you will. Yeah. And he would use the fact that he had um, a pretty normal-looking work van to be able to hide in plain sight. Um, then on April 4th, 1974, so not too long after the Otero murders, he broke into his most recent project's house, Catherine Bright. So at that time, usually he was stalking three or four people at a time and he would just randomly pick one. Um, and he broke into Catherine Bright's home. He waited in her bedroom and, um, uh, not unfortunately, but, uh, Raider didn't account for Catherine bringing her brother Kevin over to her house that day. So this is one of the only people that survived. survived. Um, But when they entered, spoiler alert, (laughs) Uh, when they entered, he used the same story he gave the Oteros and said he was a wanted man and needed a car from them. He tied them up the same way as before. So he keeps using these weird excuses and making them like have this false sense of security, which I really don't like Mm -hmm. um, in any way, shape or form. Raider put Catherine in one bedroom after he had tied up Kevin to the bed in the other bedroom. When he came back to Kevin to strangle him, Kevin had broken out of his restraints and started to fight back. Raider this time had come prepared with guns and shot Kevin in the head. Mm. In the head, people. And then knocked him to the ground. He left the room confident that he was dead. Well, you well, messed up there, Dennis. Raider went to Catherine's room and was strangling her when she broke free and started fighting him. <laughs> she He hit her over the head and thought he killed her when he heard Kevin moving in the other room. Yes, this asshole is just a frenzying mess at this point. Oh, Dennis. Which I feel makes this so much worse because, like, the suffering is so much longer. Oh, yeah. Not saying, like that it's shorter makes it better. I'm just saying like, no, because you still feel as the victim, you may have a chance to get out of it and you're not going to get out of it. Um, So Raider left Catherine and went into the room with Kevin, who was still alive somehow. And Kevin almost shot him. Um, Raider was able to get his gun away from Kevin, shot Kevin a second time with blood pouring from his body. 
Catherine was still fighting to the second he stabbed her out of frustration. That is a direct quote. He was frustrated that she wasn't dead yet. And that's why he stabbed her. Oh my gosh. Like it was a Tuesday afternoon, like activity. Like what, sir? What what are you talking about? Mm. No, 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 no. So while Raider was stabbing Catherine, however, Kevin was escaping because this badass brother still was fighting to save his sister to the very end. Mm -hmm. He ran out the front door and Raider, mind you, he's been shot in the head and shot a second time. Mm -hmm. Um, And Raider ran after him with the car keys, hoping to escape before the police came because Raider immediately was like, oh shit, the cops are going to come and get me. Kevin was halfway down the street when Raider realized he didn't have the right keys for the cars that were out front. (laughs) So Raider had been what he would call a smart person, which he would say frequently in his confession. He was being a smart person. I just, I know it's a generic phrase, but like, really, dude, you're not smart. And he parked his car a few blocks away from the scene. So he just ran back to his car and drove off. Oh my God. Terrifying. For everyone wondering, Kevin actually lived. Yeah. He actually spoke at Dennis Raider's trial. And Mm -hmm. I just couldn't stop crying when I was reading it. Because remember, I read all the court documents, so I read it, and it's it's horrifying. Um, after this murder, Raider went into a cooling-off period, as it's called, and this lasted for a few years when presumably he also had at least one of his two other children, I believe, is in this period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, he's playing the normal church-going family man this whole time, and I'm just always so shocked and terrified when they do this shit. Like, it could literally be anyone that we know. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he was, like, a Boy Scout leader and, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. did all this normal shit and also murdered people. It's just horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so March 17th of 1977, he randomly was following a young boy as he was stalking somebody else, he saw this young boy and saw him walk into this house. Oh, God. So Raider went up to the door and essentially forced his way in at first using the guise of a police officer and then just fed up, showed his gun um, to the small child who let him in. And Shirley Van had a few young children and she was in the bedroom at the time. She came walking out after she heard the front door open because she had little kids in the house um, and was greeted by the douchehead himself, Raider. He told her that he was a sick sexual um, uh, person and that he was going to tie her up, but that if she cooperated, everything would be fine. Which, again, makes him the absolute worst because he admits that he never planned to let her go in the first place. So, like, why would you give her that false sense of security? Mm. Uh, Raider convinced her to tie the kids up and put them in the bathroom. He had her tie the door up so it couldn't be opened. How terrifying to be one of his cho- one of those children. Hmm. Raider took Shirley to the other room, tied her up in like bondage style knots, and then put a bag over her head and strangled her with the rope. Hmm. Raider admitted that he could hear the kids hollering and screaming and did absolutely nothing. He considered doing something to mm-hmm. console them, but he didn't. Wow. Wow. You considered helping them? Wow. After you killed their mother? Nice. So weird. Uh, mind you, he was a fucking parent at the time, mm-hmm. so I'm just saying he knew firsthand. And the telephone started to ring. He got spooked, cleaned up, and left quickly. The kids are fine, and again, I believe at least one of them spoke at the trial mm. um, about it and because they remember. Oh my gosh. Uh, remember he brought guns to the Bright murder scene? Well, at the van scene, he had what he called his hit kit, which is essentially the same items that Bundy kept in his yeah. hit kit. 
Um, the next murder took place in December of the same year, 1977. Raider had been stalking Nancy Fox for a few weeks. On the night of December 8th, he parked a few blocks away and walked to her home. He walked around back and cut the phone lines this time after making sure she wasn't home. He then broke into the apartment and waited for her to return, uh, which, again, absolutely terrifying. Imagine the amount of times you've come home and been like, what if somebody is in this house right now? I have no idea. God, a million. A million times, right? Uh, When she returned home, he told her he had sexual problems and that he was going to tie her up and have sex with her. Mind you, he never had sex with any of these women. Right, right. He never, like, there was no rape. Um, Don't know if that's, doesn't make it any better. It's it's unusual, It's unusual. But he does admit in at least one of them to masturbating after Mm -hmm. the fact, but he does, he doesn't call it masturbating. It's like, he calls it some weird term that I did not, don't, didn't even write down because I think it's disgusting. Almost like he's one of those weirdos that calls private parts your hoo-ha. You know? Yeah, I I hate it. He's just, it's just awful. Um, she ended up talking to him for a long time and I think maybe she thought if, if I comply, he'll rape me and run off. Right. Um, Now, remember, this is the late 70s, and times were very different for women, so I'm not going to blame her in any way of, like, trying to, like, make the situation not happen in the way in which she would die. Like, she's trying to make it, like, hey, I mean, do what you're gonna do and then leave. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nancy allegedly said, let's get this over with and asked to go to the bathroom. Now, I think she probably didn't make that comment, and he's just taking the time to belittle her in public, make her out to seem like she's a whore or something. But, again, we don't know. Um, She went to the restroom, and when she came out, Raider handcuffed her. Raider took her to the bedroom, tied her feet up and hands, slightly undressed himself, climbed on top of her, and strangled her with a belt. He then untied her, replaced the restraints with pantyhose. And this is where we see a lot of pantyhose coming into play now. Yeah, He does this switch on this one where it's only pantyhose from here on out. Um, as well as the belt around her neck, Raider cleaned up, then took a person, a few personal items and left. Just a note after each murder, he would take some personal items and he kept a stash of these in his home and in surrounding buildings around his home as well. Nancy Fox's murder is the last murder he does for the next nine years. Yeah. He takes a very long cooling off period. Also weird. Very strange. Wichita at the time in 1977 was an absolute terror after all the murders. Remember, we're in middle America with little to no crime at all and definitely not serial murders. Um, So it was the perfect spot. Yeah, pretty much. Raider is in the throes of being a family man and didn't commit any murders during this time. According to him, he did continue to occasionally break into homes Um, when no one was there just for the thrill, but between his collection of nightmares, which is his stash, his fantasies that he would draw and collage, which were really weird. And these periodic petty crimes, he didn't feel the pull to murder. As he said, he would feel pulled to murder and he didn't feel it during that time period. Green river killer did that too. I know. And, um, bizarre though. Who was the other one that did? There was a couple other ones that took a long cooling off period. Um, until April 1985. So we're jumping from 77 to 85. Raider this time decided to go with this really convoluted path to Marine Hedges home in late April. He went to a bowling alley at first, changed into bowling clothes. 
Raider pretended to play bowl, play bowling. I don't know. To bowl. Um, drank a beer and called a taxi. He acted drunk and had the driver drop him off under the guise of needing some fresh air. And he was going to walk the rest of the way home. Raider then walked off to Marines home. How terrifying is that too? Oh my God. Like, why would you do that? Like, I, first of all, I know why you're doing it. You're, you're covering your tracks, but like, but to think that someone, ooh, someone could do that. Because that's not something that's going to be easy to figure out. No, no, not at all. He had been stalking her, so he thought she wouldn't be home. However, he saw her car. Raider snuck in and realized she wasn't actually home at the time. Raider was waiting in one of the bedrooms when Marine came home with a male friend. Now, Uh he goes on to tell a story about how he was there for hours and certain things transpired. He's making these women out to seem like they're they're the people that are at at fault, not the person that murdered them. Um, But Raider waited in the closet for hours, even after the guy had left, until the wee hours of the morning he was just waiting in a closet. That's so scary, because I always think to myself, eh, if there's somebody here, they would have gone by now. Who has that kind of patience? I would have been murdered by now. Who has that kind of patience? Exactly. Well, Raider walked into Marine's bedroom and flipped on the bathroom lights that was attached to her bedroom. Marine screamed and he ran onto her bed and strangled her. Now imagine that. You're laying in your bed. Oh my god. The bathroom lights flip on in the middle of the night. And And a man is just there with like a rope in his hand and he just runs at you and strangles you. Terrifying. Yeah. Okay. He wasn't wearing a mask at this time. And some of the previous ones he had mentioned wearing a mask at like the beginning of it, like when he was trying to get into the house. Well, Maureen saw his face and recognized him immediately. Oh, no. You want to know why? Because it was her neighbor. Oh, yeah. That's the neighbor. Literally, Maureen was a neighbor Mm -hmm. of Dennis Raider's. They would wave to each Mm -hmm. other in the neighborhood. Yeah. What an absolute monster. Okay. A monster. He murdered her and then stripped her of her clothing. He tied her up and moved her to his car. Raider drove her body to the Christ Lutheran church and took pictures of her. I mean... That's just let that sink in for a second, friends. Really bizarre. Is that the place where he was involved with? Yeah. 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 Uh, Raider drove her and dumped her body in a ditch under some brush and trees. Wichita again was in an uproar now because crime essentially went back to zero after he had disappeared and now another murder and everyone was back to terrified and nervous. Um, And then on September 16th, 1986, Raider struck again. Raider had been stalking stalking Vicky Wagerl? I think it's Wagerly. I can never find a correct spelling or pronunciation of any of these things. Um, even in the court documents, they spell it differently, which I think is strange. I, I've heard it said waggerly in documentaries, but I don't. Well, I there don't we know go. The spelling yeah. for weeks, and um, he had decided on his fucking lunch hour, so broad daylight, okay, to go over to her home. He impersonated mm. a telephone repairman. Uh, I'm so glad we don't have those anymore. Her home, right? So and anyone glad. that ever calls me and is like, I'm calling from AT&T. I'm like, no, you're not. No. <laughs> you're not fucking calling from AT&T. You're calling from, like, the place that's going to murder me. <laughs> from the place that's going to murder <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, I just feel like those, if you're calling me and you're pretending to be a telephone <laughs> service, even if you are my own telephone service, I don't believe you. 
They don't call you anymore. They send you emails. Like, come on now. No one calls people anymore. It's emails, texts. It's FaceTime. Anyway. Um, he got into her home saying that there were telephone line issues in the area and she gladly let him in. While he was fake looking at the phone, he pulled a pistol out and took her to the bedroom. Vicky was very distraught. And as he was trying to tie her up, she broke free and began fighting him. Um, and I'm just astonished by women who are able to do that because I just yeah. feel like I personally would freeze. I like, always I don't freeze think, when I'm scared. Yeah. Like, I just don't think I would be able to like have the, the yeah. quickness to be able to do that. Um, Raider was able to pin her and strangle her with a stocking again. He thought he had not killed her. Um, when he heard some commotion and remembered her mentioning her husband was coming home early. So Raider took some quick pictures to try and have a keepsake as he called it because he was afraid she wasn't dead. And then he quickly grabbed his stuff and left taking her car as his getaway. Um, Raider didn't find out until later that she had actually died. Uh, Raider disappeared from the murder scene in Wichita for another four years, again, leaving Wichita in a state of duress and terror. Like he enjoyed the terror he was yeah. like causing, um, until January 19th, 1991. Um, and I was, but a little baby at this time, baby, Sarah, baby, Sarah, um, Raider struck again. Dolores Davis was home the night before and didn't know that Raider had been casing her home for weeks prior Raider, after this extensive trolling time, as he calls it, um, still hadn't figured out how to get in to the house. So he smashed the patio door glass. He's just mm. frenzying. Okay. Dolores ran out of her bedroom thinking someone had hit her car or her house. Raider pretended to just want her car, food, money, you know, pretty much steal <clears> from <throat> her. So he handcuffed her and talked to her for a while. He, quote, felt bad for her, as he called it, which I don't actually believe he feels in any way, shape, Mm -mm. or form. He gave her some water and, quote, comforted her, reassuring her that he was not going to hurt her. Again, the cruelty in that is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, Raider tied her up and strangled her with a stocking, as was his thing at this point. Raider drug um, her body to Dolores's car and took pictures. Raider dumped her in one location saying he had to act fast because he had some place to be. <laughs> um, he drove her car to his, um, he drove her car to dump his clothing and other kill materials, then drove back to her home. Raider couldn't find his gun. So he went back to her home inside of it and found it had fallen out of his pocket during the struggle. He threw her car keys on the roof, drove his car back to his house. Later, he went and picked up her body from the first location it was and moved it and dropped it under her, under another bridge. So he's just like, what, what are you doing, Raider? You're just throwing shit all over the place. <laughs> okay. So those are all of the murders. Right. Um, and what I'm going to say is the rest of the story, I refuse to tell in detail. Because it is too pleasant of a story for him to listen to. He revels in it. He loves that there's like this like mystery behind him. Because there's a couple things I failed to mention in this story. Because I fucking hate it. And I'd rather synopsize it at the end. Which is, he named himself. Yeah. He wrote letters. Like, doing these crimes. Like, he wrote letters to the police and to, like, news outlets and stuff. Kind of like Zodiac, sort of. Mm -hmm. But, like, he was straight bragging about it, telling them what was going on, Mm -hmm. and suggesting names. Yeah. So I refused to go through the names he suggested. I I thought you could call me this. What 
that. I hate it because they actually took one of the names, which I don't <laughs> like. But like, I just, I refuse to talk about it. So I'm not going to. So he's, over the next 10 plus years, he begins to send letters to the authorities and news outlets. He had started doing this at the beginning of his murders. He wrote poems and bragged about the crimes. And this is why Wichita was in a particular state of horrors, because they were hearing from the murderer while the murders were actually happening. Um, So during the 90s, he sent more and more letters to the police. In the early 2000s, he was corresponding with authorities and asked if information could be taken from a floppy disk (laughs) that could identify his location or identity. Okay, so this dumbass is asking the police to just be just be real with me. Yeah. Tell me, can if I send you something, like, can you figure out if it's me? I mean... And the police seeing this opportunity Dennis. are like, all right, nah, Dennis, you good? We won't try to find you, brother. Like, just send it on over, man. Oh You're cool. Raider, the dumbass douchebag that he is, sent the floppy disk to them. <laughs> they were able to identify that the floppy was associated with the church that he was working mm-hmm. for at the time. The asshole being too arrogant is what got him caught, which is the best yep. part of the whole story, which yep. is why I refuse to tell any other part of it. Mm. Um, something to learn from serial killers. Take that slice of humble pie and really understand what it is to be humble. And maybe you won't get caught. <laughs> did I just give advice to murderers? I wrote that in there. You did, but they won't take it. No, they won't. Because they're arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. They won't believe me. I mean, I would take it. I would take it, too, because I gave it. (laughs) (laughs) So that, my friends, is the story of Dennis Rader uh, that I chose to tell. Some people want to get into the minutia of his life and how interesting it was. And not interesting, but how interesting the psychology of a man like that is. Don't give a fuck. Um, and how interesting of an investigation it was. Also, don't give a fuck. It is fascinating, yes. But, like, heard it once and I don't want to hear it again because he enjoys it. Now, something interesting to comment on, however, in my investigations of this, I got caught up in some oxygen shows. You know. Yeah. And you know one of his daughters has been particularly vocal. Yes. Wrote a book. Yeah. Has been on a bunch of shows. Yep, yep. So she talked about how complicated something like this can be. You know, having a a family member, let alone your dad, that's a serial killer. And, you know, she's, that's incredibly brave. Cause like you, uh-huh. I mean, you're opening yourself up to criticism. Um, well, there was an update that happened this summer in that whole situation. I don't know if you heard about this. Did you hear about this? I don't know. She actually filed a restraining order against him. No, I didn't hear that. Um, because he's been quasi stalking her. Oh my God. Having his minions and fans following her <gasps> and sending him information on her. And her <sighs> so not only did he refer to his family in court documents as pawns in his game, not only did he give his daughter this false representation of like, I did these horrible things, but I still want to be your dad. Like trying to like be a human. I hate that I'm saying this. Like now he's like having people stalk her almost like what he did to his victims. So she has this like very intricately written restraining order where it's like about him acquiring information on her. (coughs) So it's fairly interesting from that perspective. You know, he, that that's just and i'd rather focus on the daughter anyway apparently she's doing very well she has children she's married um and living her living a life away from him which is good i'd be worried about my safety yeah i would be too 
but I guess she's, you know. He just, his ego can't take it that she wants nothing yeah, to do with him. Exactly. It's crazy to me. So yeah, that's the story of Dennis Rader. Dennis Lynn Rader, the douchebag himself that I hate more than anything in the world. And he looks like a fucking idiot. And I fucking hate him. So there's that. But who likes him? No one does. And if you do, I hate you. <laughs> so there's that. The strong statements from Sarah tonight. Strong statements. So yeah. Anyway, we're getting closer and closer to our 100th episode. And we're very excited. 100th episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're pumped about that. We're still sending out these freebies. Come on, friends. You know, if you want a freebie this holiday season, $5 less than that. If you want to get real technical, cause the whole fees and shit, um, please friends, you know, on the Venmo at podcast 31 nights, um, on our buy me a coffee. We're on there. It's linked in the show notes, my friend. Also, you could send us some stories at 31 nights of scary shit at gmail.com or on any of our social medias at 31 nights of scary shit or on Twitter at scary shit pod. Um, because we're going to do some shithead stories episodes coming up soon. Hopefully that'll be super yeah. cool. Super rad friends. And you know, just don't forget to, uh, stay spooky. Uh, bye.